more than a century, ACH Child and Family Services has put our children's safety first, leading the way in child welfare by creating community programs, working hand-in-hand -hand with state and local government, and much more. I'm Austin Proctor, and this is Community Conversations, a podcast by ACH Child and Family Services about the issues our community endures in the face of child abuse. In this podcast, Youth and families who have received help by ACH share their stories to illustrate the impact of child abuse in and around Fort Worth. We'll hear from some pretty resilient young adults throughout the episodes. We'll hear what they're doing to overcome their trauma, grow from their experiences, and become self-sufficient with the help of ACH. Think back to when you were 18, fresh out of high school, maybe preparing for college or entering the workforce. Were you excited to be on your own? Think about your own kids at that age. How is coming into adulthood for them? They might still be working on it well into their 20s. Now, really try to remember at 18, could you do your own laundry? Cook a meal for yourself? Manage your bank account? Apply for college? Fill out a job application? Imagine trying to do that stuff without anyone helping you or telling you how. What if you didn't grow up with adults setting an example for you to follow? What if those adults who were supposed to do that neglected, abused, or abandoned you? Now you're growing up in strangers' homes, separated from family, with no one to rely on but yourself. And when you finally turn 18, you're out on your own with no one to turn to. Got it pictured in your head? That picture is the reality for a lot of youth in the foster care system, and it can be tough to digest especially if you have no direct ties or previous experience with child abuse or the system. I'll throw a few stats out there about youth who age out of foster care. One in four will be homeless by age 22. More than half the girls will be pregnant before 19. Seven out of 10 of those children will enter the foster care system themselves, and more than half the boys will wind up incarcerated. 75% of foster youth are less likely to graduate from high school. And even if they do, only 3% of foster kids will graduate college. Whether we realize it or not, we are all connected by these things. As members of this community, we are surrounded by these statistics. We are surrounded by these youth, and it's on us to help. I couldn't beat you, but... no. But somebody beat you. I think Kobe beat you. I don't remember. Somebody no. beat you. Somebody no, beat you. I know somebody beat you because we got some pieces. That's Justin. He's giving me a hard time about our first meeting over a game of pool and the wager we apparently made over fast food. Oh, no, we got some. We got McDonald's. We got McDonald's because he was like, yeah, we all got Yeah. <laughs> he thought you was slick. Over the course of seven years with ACH, I have met a lot of kids. Most of them while I was a supervisor at ACH's Pat O'Neill Youth Emergency Shelter. It's actually the only shelter that serves kids ages 10 to 17 years old in Tarrant County. We call it the shelter at ACH. And this is where Justin's journey starts with us. When a child comes into the shelter, their time there is only meant to be temporary, less than 90 days. Our goal is to place them in a safe and stable environment when they leave the shelter which might mean going back home for the runaways or finding a foster home for others. Justin was already in the foster system when he came through the shelter. I didn't even want to leave um, for Christmas. I was asking them to stay because they already, 
they had um, already found me a foster home. Yeah. I was asking them if they could let me stay for the Christmas break because it was cool. I really liked it. I was here during the Thanksgiving break. He's come a long way since then. I'm going to give you a very brief and vanilla description of how the foster system works. When a child enters the care of Child Protective Services, or CPS, it's because the child is not safe in their home. This can happen for many reasons. Maybe the kids were abused. Maybe they were neglected. Maybe there was drug use in the home. Maybe the parents went through a rough patch, lost their job, and became homeless. Someone probably tried to help and contacted CPS. If a judge rules that the home is unsafe, the child is removed and placed in foster care. That's all beyond the child's control. So what is the best case scenario afterwards? It looks different for every kid, but every child welfare agency focuses on finding them permanence. Family reunification is one goal. That might also mean the child lives with another family member. Another is adoption. But adoption isn't actually a realistic outcome for a lot of older kids, especially teenagers. And when it comes to sibling groups, they are often separated if not adopted together. When it comes to finding permanency for a child, ACH works hard to do things the right way. So what happens to the kids that don't get adopted? They turn 18 and now they're an adult? Technically. But are they ready to be adults? Is even a kid who had great parents and a typical childhood ready to be a fully self-sufficient adult at 18? Nobody's really ready at 18 uh, to be an adult. It's a, it's a hard process and it takes a lot. I think the biggest thing for uh, kids that are in care is that they lack some of those supports that maybe the kid out of CPS care had. So they have those um, encouraging adults in their lives or they have the ability to, you know, go to a parent's house or a friend's house um, and have that support system that, you know, a CPS kid no, doesn't necessarily have. Uh, so little things like going to college and then during breaks having somewhere to go, that's uh, that's something that, uh, you know, your typical 18-year-old doesn't have to worry about. I'm talking to Transitions Program Manager Nick Little, an ACH colleague. He works with kids like Justin who need a little more time and guidance before aging out of foster care. You know, we've learned a lot about trauma over the years with neuroscience and they talk about how trauma affects the brain and you know you can literally see scans of the brain in like certain areas not activating. It's pretty significant and if it's not addressed early in life, it manifests all throughout their adulthood as well. We think about chronological age versus developmental age, so in the Life Project specifically, we have young adults that are 18, 19, 20, but developmentally, they can be 16, they can be 15, they might be you know, 12 um, with their emotional intelligence or just how they handle issues. The Life Project is a program at ACH which helps two types of clients, ages 18 to 21, learn independence and what it means to be a responsible adult. First, there are community clients who are homeless, on the streets, couch surfing, and they don't really have a place to go. Second, the bulk of the clients in this program were in foster care and decided to stay in what is called extended foster care. So they agree to live in SIL, supervised independent living. That's what the Life Project is. 
It's a program basically to help 18 to 21 year olds learn what it means to be an adult. The way I kind of spin it is be a responsible adult. Um, there's so many different aspects to supervised independent living because every young adult that comes in is in a different place. Um, so it's basic adulthood skills, taking care of yourself, cooking, cleaning, you know, learning about a schedule, learning about how to get a job, how to maintain a job, um, going to school, all those those basic responsibilities that every adult has to deal with. Um, but then also learning some of the more um, difficult concepts to learn, how to have um, responsible relationships or appropriate relationships is a huge one. That's just something when you think about kids in trauma, a lot of times having appropriate relationships is a big thing. You know, we know if you have if you have a kid that has one caring adult in their life, they're more likely to succeed. We talk about just everyday life. You know, a lot of times people don't think about what a, what a schedule looks like, what structure looks like, um, creating it for yourself versus other people telling you what that looks like. And for so long, you know, kids in foster care, kids in group homes or whatnot, that's all they've ever known is people tell them, okay, you go here, you go here, you do this. You know, here it's more about in an SIL, you're getting them to think about that on their own. When are you going to have breakfast? When are you going to have lunch? When are you going to have dinner? Um, when are you going to fit in time to do all those responsibilities that you have to do? Meet your case manager, you know, go to school, talk to your counselor, whatever you need to do. All those different aspects are getting uh, worked on while they're here. I, I probably go to the YMCA every day. So, yeah, I, I really just like being athletic and going to work. If you didn't know, Justin sounds like your typical teenager. He is a typical teenager, going to the gym, working a retail job. But kids like him who found themselves in the foster care system have gone through so much more than your typical teenager, and they surround us more than you realize. They don't worry about the same kinds of things. You'll see what I mean as you hear more from Justin. Now, a big misconception is that all foster homes are bad, and the parents don't take care of the kids or abuse them all just to collect a government check. In most cases, that's just not true. I've been in probably four foster homes, but I've been in respite homes also, and just seeing the difference between foster parents that actually care about helping kids and foster parents that just, you know, you just in, you just in the house, you're doing your thing, X, Y, Z, you know? So, Cause I've had those type of foster homes too. It wasn't bad, but it's like, you know, it's, it's just whatever. Justin knows having him as their foster kid wasn't always a walk in the park on their end either. I usually did a lot of stuff that made me kind of leave. You know, I used to get kicked out of a lot of them. My last foster home that I was in, it was in Cedar Hill. He was a cool guy. It was only, it was only him. I just didn't really connect with him. We ain't, we weren't on the same page. I used to get in trouble over there all the time. Like, but I knew I was a good kid. But I was just making a lot of mistakes. And I was doing the same stuff I was doing in that foster home that I did in other foster homes that were way better than his. But I like, I like messed it up. So um, that was when I really got on my stuff and I just said, like, I need to get better. But he knew his time was running out. He was turning 18 soon and needed to start making plans to better himself. I knew I couldn't stay there. I know I didn't even want to stay there. So I was like, okay, let me just try to do good. So this agency can approve me to go to ACH. I didn't know go back to ACH because I was here in the shelter. I was trying to make it into the life project, but if I would have kept 
getting runaways on my um on my like my record and stuff and on paper if i kept looking bad on paper that was gonna make me y'all probably wasn't even gonna accept me so that's why um and then also i wasn't doing good in school i wasn't even really going to school i kept i'll go to school and leave and i was a senior and it was the second semester of my senior year so it's the most important time i was not uh, focused so um i just got on that and tried to make the best out of it and once i got a job that made every foster home that i was in better Justin's story is similar to a lot of kids' stories who are in foster care. They are children who come from hard places. Trauma from abuse or neglect has a significant effect on anyone's brain, body, and behavior. But foster youth are twice as likely as combat veterans to suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. With kids, it interferes with their brain development, changing the way they behave and their ability to cope. Oftentimes, people who don't understand the effects of trauma on a child think they're just bad kids. We talk about the fight, flight, and freeze of trauma. Um, some kids or young adults will fight, and that might be arguing, that might be trying to control a situation. Some might freeze where they just won't talk at all, um, and some just run away. Um, it's easier for them to just not be, um, not deal with something that's difficult. Um, you know, there's, there's an idea of felt safety. Um, it's something that we talk about where, um, whether it's a young adult or it's a kid, they need to have this feeling of being safe in their environment. So that looks a little different for every kid and every young adult. And you just have to figure out what works best for them. So if you see them having those fight, blood or freeze moments, you figure out how do you, how do you have a conversation with them? What works best? Do they need structure? Do they need just somebody to sit there and listen and have a conversation with them. All of that kind of plays a role in the trauma that they're experiencing. Um, it looks different for everybody. Everybody handles it a little different, but it's really just about being sensitive to it um, and understanding that it's going to happen. So just figuring out the best way to approach that, that young adult. Abuse is going to change the way they respond to everything in their lives, and they're going to react in the way they think they can protect themselves best. Behaviors and habits they develop due to trauma can present in many ways, including aggression, not trusting adults, and simply ignoring rules or boundaries set by adults. See, I, I did a lot of stuff that I wasn't supposed to. I had a lot of behavior problems. I did a lot of stuff. I wasn't even going to. I was really bad in math. And something I did, since I was bad in math, we had A and B days. So sometimes I would skip math and not even go because I wasn't good at it. And I just, that was like the only class I was skipping. Um, I didn't even know that they they uh, send stuff in the mail. I didn't know they did that. They sent uh, in the mail saying I had a lot of absences and from math class. So she called me down there. My foster mom called me down there. She was like, so you've been missing class? And I was like, just stuck. And she was like, don't do it again. And she just left. And I was like, dang. And then she picked me back up. She was like, come on. And after that, she let me ride in the front seat, and she was just talking to me the whole time. And I never had nobody that really just treated me like treated me like that at all. I never had nobody really understand, like, you made a mistake, but it's not the end of the world. You just made a mistake. So just don't do it again and learn from it and just go to tomorrow. So I never had nobody do that. So when she did that, that made me want to talk to her about everything, anything that would happen. That would make me not even want to do that. That made me want to go to math. That made me want to get a tutor. That made me want to get all that stuff just so she could uh, not be disappointed in me. And she wasn't even my, like, you weren't even, um, she wasn't even, like, my family at all, whatsoever, whatsoever. She was just a 
random lady that was just a nice lady, you know? So that made me want to get better, and I wound up passing math, so. Um, I think about in Justin's situation when he talked about his foster mom that just sat down and talked with him when he was struggling in his math class. Um, that's a good example of felt safety. You have um, somebody that's willing to just sit there and listen, you know, and that's what he needed in that moment versus, you know, somebody yelling at you, somebody um, telling you you're not doing right. A lot of times our young adults know that. Um, that's where, again, that fight, flight, or freeze comes in where if they don't feel safe, that's what they're going to do. Um, if they can find a way to f- have that felt safety in their foster home or in the placement that they're in, they're going to be able to make better decisions. Because when you're in a place of fear, when you're in that fight, flight, or freeze, you're not thinking rationally. You're not thinking logically. Lectures aren't going to work. Um, you're just in a place where you're in survival skills, survival mode. Um, so that's the importance of finding felt safety. Cause once you do that, then you can start having those me- meaningful dialogues, meaningful conversations. I can interview you. No. Why not? Because as you for many years have made fun of my accent. <laughs> that's Belinda Robinson. Transitions Clinical Supervisor, and another colleague at ACH. I didn't make convincing Belinda to lend her knowledge to this podcast easy, but when it came to talking about Justin and his growth in the Life Project, she couldn't resist. They can just leave. They don't. It's all voluntary. Their choice to stay in extended foster care and to be in this program. It's all voluntary. They can just pick up and go if they want to. Um, they find a crowd that they like to hang out with and feel more comfortable couch surfing if they want, they can, um, but he didn't. He, you know, even though he was getting some pressure from Tom and me and Nick about, you know, hey, this is, you know, you're, you're kind of backsliding a little bit, um, he is pushing through it and he's once again getting back on track. And, you know, like we talked earlier that the point of this program is to be a safe place to fail mm-hmm. um, before they actually have to do it truly on their own. And so that's, yeah, that resiliency factor that they just, they keep trying. You know, he's one that just keeps, keeps going and keeps, you know, he stumbled, but he picked himself back up and he's getting back where he needed to be. There's more to be said about how other clients might cope in the program. Peaks and valleys, that's exactly right. I mean, we have some clients who come in and just totally knock it out of the park, typically. Those are clients who were very fortunate to get placed in really solid foster homes who, who make a, a concerted effort to teach the things, um, budgeting finance, um, laying out a, a goal plan, um, and having all, and a, a, a placement that they stayed in for a significant period of time. Um, and so then when they move into our program, they are more well-adjusted, more equipped. Stick with it. That seems to be the overall message we got from talking with Belinda, Nick, and Justin. Pushing through the hard times. Um, Yeah, sometimes it can feel like people are, you know, um, giving you a lot of pressure, and but just just hanging in there, and that's what Justin has done. 
he could easily when we started needling a little bit about you know you're you're just spinning your wheels we need you to move forward he could have just walked away and said I'm done with this but he didn't he he took a breath and he listened to what his case manager the mentors Nick and I everybody involved with him he took a breath and he listened and he pushed through Since you've been in the Life Project, um, what's your experience been like? Uh, well, while, while I was in the Life Project, I just, I learned a lot when I was here too. Um, I actually learned like how independent I want to be by being here, you know, like when I, when I came here and they said, there's no curfew, you can just leave. I said, are you like, are you serious? Like, I never was able to do anything like that. Um, but then I started seeing like, okay, but like, we ain't about to feed you. So you're going to have to like, you know, budget your money, do something with it, get you with it, take you shopping one time. And then after that, you got to figure it out. So I'm like, okay. And I get stuck. So you got to think like, okay, I got to get a job. I got to get this. Like it's real life stuff. And when I see adults, they really own the same stuff that I'm like similar to what I'm on. And I'm like, okay, so I see you, you got to work every day and you go home because you got to pay for rent. You got to pay for this X, Y, Z. So it's like, this place taught me like about the real world. Before, when I was in foster homes, I was living in like a, like an institutionalized mind, like thinking that uh, you're supposed to be taken care of. Like I used to go in the kitchen and look for in uh, um upstairs. I used to go in the kitchen and look for forks, and in the drawer ain't no forks in there. Like I forgot, like I'm really in this. Like you're really independent. You do everything. It's really you, you know. So, um, being in Life Project taught me that, but it also taught me like figure out more things you need to do and understand what you want to do. You know, when you get older years down the line, not just next year or next month. How would your life be different if there was no life project? I'll probably be in a in a foster home and I'll probably be working at probably working at some fast food place, spending my money on shoes and weed, honestly. Um so yeah, honestly, but you know, coming here it's it got everything kinda in like like to where I could focus, you know. If I if I would if I wouldn't have came here, I would have been still thinking of th thinking that other things mattered, um, you know, thinking that other like material things matter. I used to think, you know, shoes and clothes and looking nice mattered more than actually saving your money. I used man, I made so many poor money choices. It's I can't. Even, but like I just learned more from being here. Like you got to be more smart. You got to think more about that. Like. $20, you can use that. You don't have to just do that. You could do more with that. And if you save a certain amount of time, that can build up. But I wouldn't have learned that if I wouldn't have came here. I would have still thought that I'll be all right. It'll happen. And I also used to put things off like it'll happen eventually. That will happen. This will happen. But um, actually, time moves fast. I just I feel like I just got here and it's been six months. I came here in June. You know, I feel like I just left the shelter and it's been two years almost like. Mm -hmm. So um, I just feel like Time isn't going away for nobody, and that's the most valuable thing. So you coming here made me realize that. What are your hopes or what are your goals for yourself after you leave the Life Project? My overall goal is to have the family of my dreams. So I figure if I just knock out the money component, then I'll have the most valuable thing, which is time. So I can have more time with my family. So it'll just all come together. So that's honestly my plan after Life Project. I want to be on my own, like just doing everything and just... Just making sure everything all right. And I also want to remember mental health. I still want to go to therapy because I used to not like therapy. 
but I feel like that's gonna help in the long run. So, um, after I leave the life project, I st- I want to like, like go to therapy like regularly, you know. Considering all he's been through, to hear that mental health is a priority for Justin, well, that just shows resilience. Well, like honestly, nobody is perfect. Everybody has been through something. Everybody, I don't care who you are, you could be anybody. Everybody has been through something in their life. It might not be as traumatic as you or whatever, but everybody got everybody got problems. I used to think people was perfect. I used to wish I was people. Everybody got something. And people need to talk about that. Like people don't even talk about most of the stuff that happened to them. And it's still bothering. After hearing this, I would hope the information about trauma sticks with you. This is what childhood trauma and its effects in adulthood sound like for a lot of these young adults. Anger. I have really bad anger problems. I really, and um, but I don't really get mad that much, but I have really bad anger problems. And the stuff that I do is, unf- like, it's, you can't take it back. And I, that's one thing about myself that I really want to fix because I know how good of a person that I am. But when I get mad, you wouldn't even think I was the same person. So I feel like um, that's something that would, really hold me back in the future so um that's something i would like to talk to a therapist about and maybe he could teach me some ways or she could teach me some ways to really get on that and different exercises to use um to actually like get over that and to where it won't be a problem it's all everything is to where it won't be a problem in the future those who work in this field will tell you this population young adults aging out of the foster care system are overlooked all the time but they need caring adults in their lives too to guide them and be there for them. ACH operates on several themes as an agency. One of them is relationships get results. The Life Project has mentors on staff for this reason. Thad McCall is one Justin remembers. I graduated from Cedar Hill and you need transcripts in order to go like to college. So <laughs> Cedar Hill is like 40 some minutes away from here I, and I don't have a car so I'm like, Dang, so I I asked Mr. That. He drove me to Cedar Hill three times. Two times was a blank trip. Back to back days. Like he drove me all the way out there. They weren't there. The next day, like as soon as he came in, he drove me again. And then the next day it finally worked. But he wasn't like the the thing the, the reason the reason why that was nice was because he could have made an excuse that I would have believed. Yeah. He could have said, Oh, Oh, sorry, just I have to um go ahead and handle this real quick. But when I get back, I can see if I can get it. Or like, he could have said anything. And then, but on on top of everything, this is an independent program. He could have told me to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? But he didn't. And I feel like I really appreciated that how he just came. Um, and he told me he was like, man, look, I, I he wasn't even mad that he took a blank trip. He was like, oh, it's all good. We just go tomorrow. We we'll figure it out. But we go get we should, we go get you in school. And I I. That's something that people don't do every day. They don't really try to help you like that every day. My old foster dad, I, did, I needed my ID. I did not have my ID. I um actually my my foster dad before him kept it, wouldn't give it back. So I needed to get another one. So I went when I went to this new foster home. He kept telling my caseworker he was gonna give me an ID, but he never got me one. Never. The whole time I was there, I was there for like five six months. But when I got here, Mister Dad found out that I didn't have an ID. I couldn't get any jobs. I was trying to get a job. I couldn't get any jobs. Mister Dad made sure I got an ID. I had an ID like within the first two weeks I got here because Mr. Dad made sure I got one. And he had to do that. He could have told me to figure it out because I'm an, I'm legally an adult and he wouldn't have been looked at as wrong for saying that because it's really my responsibility. But he tried his hardest to help me. Um, and even when I was feeling down, 
another good thing he did for me was like, he took me to the mall just to get my mind off of it. And it really did get my mind off of it. I really stopped thinking about it. And I didn't even notice that I stopped thinking about it. But he knew that that effect was going to happen. And I just feel like, you know, he was one of the mentors that really, like, made me feel like, dang, like, I really appreciated that. He drove to Cedar Hill three times, three back-to-back days to make sure I got my uh, my scan, my uh, transcript to go to TCC. He also was driving me to TCC when I needed him to. So I just really appreciate people that, like, um, help me out when I when I do need them and go, like, um, beyond when they don't have to. Like, I appreciate that because people, a lot of people aren't like that. We didn't go into much of Justin's background as far as what got him into the foster system. But in a lot of ways, it wasn't necessary to dig that up for you to know that there are kids that surround us every day like him who need our support. And I'm still learning. I'm still making mistakes. I'm still going through, like with that. But um, I love learning more. And since I've been in, I feel like if I would have never been in CPS, I wouldn't have even learned most of the stuff that I learned. So I'm actually happy all this stuff happened. I'm Austin Proctor. Community Conversations is a podcast brought to you by ACH Child and Family Services. Written, edited, and produced by Kristen Victorin. Special thanks to Stephanie Molina and program staff who helped in the making of this episode. And of course, thanks to Justin for sharing his story. If you like what you're hearing, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can advocate for the children in our community by telling a friend about this podcast. We'll catch you next time on Community Conversations.